This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. What's that football focus doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I will be very careful about sling and stuff. Am I going to get sued? We got legal on this? I like football, like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome in to the PFF NFL podcast, Steve Pelzola, Sam Monson. We're here live on a Wednesday afternoon. It's our midweek show, and it is a great show. Great show. Great show. You're going to want to be here for the great show. Well, I am here. It's worked. That's, yeah. that's perfect. Yeah, because we got all sorts of stuff. We're going to uh, put to bed a few teams that were eliminated. Put to bed. Okay. Yeah. Some teams that were eliminated from the playoffs. Talk a little Monday Night Football, unfortunately. We'll talk about Tua and the concussion situation. Do you need a mobile quarterback? And then a very special interview with uh, UFC play-by-play announcer John Anik at the end of the show. It's a great interview, which we may have already done because, <laughs> hey, John knows his NFL. He really does. And that's what we talk about. Yeah. Um, Some good stuff there. Yeah, like I, I stumbled. He was on uh, Pardon My Take recently, which is where I first heard him talk football. And, yeah, he really knows his stuff. It's, it's a fun conversation. Yeah, we proposed, you know, maybe this is, it could be a one-time thing. We'll see how you do. And uh, I think it's a good, it's good. He could be a repeating guest here, a current guest. We'll have John at the end of the show here. So, an official friend of the show now. Official friend of the show. And um, as an MMA UFC expert, I'm, uh, I, was, I was thrilled. You, okay. Yeah. Long, long time, you know, admirer of yours for a long time. The last two pay-per-views, at least. Yeah, the last pay-per-view was oh, uh, the last electric. One. Okay. Was electric and uh, controversial. Very controversial. Right, yeah. Two, uh, two decisions that were just crazy. So uh, anyway, let's get into the, uh, the football stuff. Yeah. What do you want to start with? Uh, well, we can start with a you little... You an update. You yeah, had a charity, charity update. update. Um, we are flying, thanks largely to one monster donation. Uh, I'm not going to read out his name because I don't know if people like that. Um, but we had a guy come in with a $1,000 donation. So <laughs> in that one donation, we're 50% of the way to the goal. And then we have $345 more. So 1345 out of 2000 raised for our latest charity drive, we're raising money for Meals on Wheels America, which do great work providing meals to people that are on their own that can't really afford it. Um, and obviously, the extra bonus to this is once we reach our goal, we are going to see you attempt rugby skills. So it's a great cause. It's worth people donating to. We appreciate every donation. Thank you very much. My pin tweet at PFF underscore Sam and in the description of this podcast. I'm ready. I'm in training. Oh, yeah? Yeah. What's your training? I don't know yet. Hmm. But that we'll doesn't... just say I'm in training. Oh, we'll say I'm going to lose some weight. Right. I'm going to lose some weight. 
How about that? Some more nimble. Okay. For the drills. What if mass is a benefit? Is a benefit? Oh, I don't know. I need to be more explosive. I assume. Sure. It's an explosive yes. sport. So I'll do some, uh, do some plyometrics. <laughs> Pull out some old, okay. some old workouts. Yeah. Some jump squats. We'll be ready to go. I think. I mean, I don't know if your knees could handle a jump squat right now. Yeah, I don't like the way my knees are going to age. At six ten. Going to age. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect they. You know, your knees right now, I imagine, are a lot like Nick Foles. You know, where they've been on on the back burner, they've been on the bench for a couple of years and degrading whilst that's been happening. So you go out there, you're like, ah, why wouldn't my knees be the same as they were a few years ago? You try a jump squat and it just implodes. And now you don't. need three new ACLs. You tell me my knees are 17 of 29 for a buck 43 and three picks. Yeah, it's kind of where I'm going. Of 31.9. Uh-huh. A perfect segue to Monday Night Football. Yeah. Yeah, there we go. Chargers, 20. You got to be good today because you got a professional. Yeah, yeah, John's going to be watching. Right. Yeah, make yeah. sure. 20 to three, the Chargers won. Uh, they moved to nine and six, clinched a playoff spot. A lot of people are excited. Justin Herbert in in the playoffs. Yeah. You get to see Herbert in the playoffs. Colts fall to four ten and one, and uh, Nick Foles was not the answer for the Colts. No, no, he after wasn't. they benched Matt Ryan in favor of Foles, who I still believe might be the best third string quarterback, but maybe not. Well, maybe was before again, like your knees. You know, might have been able to function once upon a time, and now not so much. Um, it did. It kind of felt like Nick Foles went out there and tried to be the Nick Foles from before. You know, it's like it's it's sort of like a higher end version of Taylor Heineke. You know, YOLO ball. Let's try and make some big plays. Let's aim deep down the field. We'll create some explosives. And it just wasn't there anymore. Like the the I I, sh- I sent you the tweet from um, Kevin Clark before the game that was like Nick Foles has exactly one enemy. And it's the guy that comes up with the photos for the uh, Monday Night Football promos because it was this photo of Nick Foles where he looked like 72 years old. Just looked awful. It was like those late career um, Ken Stabler pictures, you know? We are like, oh, Ken yeah. Stabler's 32 years old here, and it looks like he's been like... Looks like he's on his way to the nursing home. Right. Yeah. That's what Nick Foles looked like in this picture. And then midway through the game, Kevin Clark follows up with like the photo guy knew. Like, this is what Nick Foles had actually become during the time of sitting on the bench and not playing football. Yeah, I mean, it looked like there were, there were some, uh, some of those Sam Ellinger games where the Colts could not put any offense together, and um, this was similar, right? Full sacked seven times, only threw for 143 uh, net passing yards. It was closer to 100 when you talk gross passing yards. The interceptions were poor. Everything was bad. 0 for 10 on third down. Everything was bad for the yeah. Colts. And the Chargers, God bless their soul, their heart, they uh, – they, they kept it close, too. Mm. The Chargers didn't exactly put him away. Brandon Staley sounded a little uh, little upset with that. In his quick interview, like, how are we not dominating here? Because it was a one-score game for yeah. a while. It was a 10-point game for a while. They finally pulled away 20-3, to though. Yeah, because of the, for, the fourth quarter, which is where Co- Coach Saturday really eats. You know, the fourth quarter is where he does his magic. Because in the fourth quarter, he's got some absurd negative points differential over the they, last well, few were, weeks alone. It was 33 nothing against the Cowboys. Yeah, It was something similar against the Vikings in that fourth quarter. Yeah. And then this fourth quarter against the Chargers as well. It's not been good. It has not been good. No. I don't know how much of like the fourth quarter specifically is coaching, but it feels like there's a part of it. Somebody in the chat does not want us to talk about the Sean Payton, Tom Brady rumors to the Saints. Yeah. Okay. Why? Well, then we'll give that guy a heads up of when to tune out. Yeah, it might go come make on a, soon. Go make a coffee. Might be coming up soon. You know, take take five minutes away. Go do whatever errand you've got to do, and then come back. 
So the Chargers looked like they're locked into the sixth seed in the AFC, which is uh, remember it's out of seven. It used to be the final the the final seed. They're they're in the playoffs. They'll probably be the number six. And we're looking at a first round matchup of the Chargers playing against one of the big three. Right? It's it's one of the big three being the Chiefs, the Bills, or the Bengals. As of right now, it's the Bengals, but we'll see Monday Night Football. We have the Bills are coming to town here, Sam. Mm. So that could easily flip, but uh, that's going to be fun, right? Herbert on the road with the Chargers going up against one of the big three in the AFC, there is upset potential there. Yeah, I mean, I think that's what everybody wants to see, right? It's like even if if the wildcard team is worse than the big three, and you're right, I think there seems to be a step, right? We've got Buffalo, Kansas City, Cincinnati, and then we have a step down to other teams in the AFC that aren't as good. If you're going to be one of those teams that aren't as good, at the very minimum, you have a guy like Justin Herbert who can make crazy special things happen and potentially bridge that gap a little bit. So the idea of Justin Herbert taking a team, almost regardless of what the team is, to one of those other places, you know, going up against Joe Burrow or Patrick Mahomes or Josh Allen is exciting in a way it isn't when you're talking about some of the other teams. All right. That's about, that's about all I have on Monday Night Football. We good on Monday Night Football? Yeah. We got no more use for that game. For that game. Uh, We'll come back with some autopsies in a second. But first, the PFF NFL podcast is sponsored by Western and Southern Financial Group. While you focus on your roster moves, Western and Southern helps advance your money moves. Buying your first home, planning to start a family, wondering how to make your money grow. Well, Western and Southern's playbook of life insurance, investment, and retirement solutions helps you rest assured on game day. Team up to understand needs and address goals with a game plan built just for you. Get started at westernsouthern.com slash PFF. All right. The, uh, the autopsy report, we've done this the last few weeks for teams that were eliminated from the playoffs. Too many teams, so we'll just do uh, rapid fire here. Yeah, we don't have time for a full autopsy because now we've got, I think, four teams eliminated since we last did this. So let's just do a quick, uh, you know, immediate cause of death. What was the problem here for these teams? So let's, let's start. Let's go through them each. I'll give you what my, my thing is, and then you can either agree, disagree, or whatever. We'll move on. All right, start with the team. Indianapolis, since we just talked about them. Um, So I think the real cause of death is that their offensive line absolutely fell to rack and ruin earlier in the season, and nothing could function at that point. Jonathan Taylor, you know, NFL's leading rusher a year ago, couldn't get anything going when he was there. Matt Ryan was never going to function behind an offensive line that wasn't functioning. Benching him for Sam Ellinger wasn't going to fix it because the offensive line still stinks, so nothing's going to work. Um, and, you know, Nick Foles coming back in there isn't going to fix that either. So you can definitely say, look, they didn't have any quarterbacks. That was a problem. But I think the real, like, the seed for it all was that offensive line going from one of the best in the league to one of the worst in the league. Yeah, I think it's tough to disagree with that, right? I mean, I think um, was it Chris Ballard or Frank Reich at one point said, we failed Matt Ryan because we sold yeah. a good offensive line in a good running game. And it wasn't there. And it wasn't there. And the second part that you said, Matt Ryan wasn't going to function behind that line. I think we knew that going in. Matt Ryan's at this point in his career where he can't overcome a bad offensive line. And it's honestly been that way since about 2019 or so. When Matt Ryan's been under pressure, it's been ugly. Um, But we thought, okay, maybe they'll give him enough protection that he'll be an upgrade over Carson Wentz. He was not. The line did fail him. The offense has been a disaster. And uh, Jeff Saturday is now the head coach. So, you know, you're predicting, well, what's going to happen in the season back in August? Nobody had Jeff Saturday is going to end the season as the head coach and they're going to have a record fourth quarter collapse against the Minnesota Vikings. Nobody knew that was going to happen. But that's all part 
of the autopsy. But I think the O-line as the, uh, the seed, as you say, mm-hmm. is probably fair. All right. Atlanta. Atlanta Falcons. Uh, I mean, this one, I think, is more broad and far-reaching. They just they don't have enough talent anywhere. Like, you look across this team, and you're like, where, just not that good. where are the good players? Yeah. There aren't, there aren't that many. There's just not enough to win games, fundamentally. Like, that, that's the problem. They've been, they were able to patch together an offense that was very interesting with Marcus Mariota and his rushing threat and Cordero Patterson and, you know, the, the playmakers that they had. But it was a little bit smoke and mirrors and still leans into the least efficient area of offensive football, which is the run game. So, like, at some point, the fact that Marcus Mariota was who he is as a passer was holding this thing back. Desmond Ritter maybe has a higher ceiling than that, but it's not there right now as a mid-round project pick. They just don't have enough talent. Yeah, I mean, they they won, what, seven games last year when— and then blew it up. Yeah, it felt like they were overachieving. They they were the ones who traded Matt Ryan and took a record salary cap hit. I think they're still paying Julio Jones. I mean, they on paper, the Falcons should not compete, right? They should not have uh, enough to, to win more than five or six games. They're sitting here at 5-10, and ten, and even last year it felt like they overachieved with their seven wins. But the interesting thing is they started 3-2, and two, right? They start 3-2. and two, They start there. They were 4-4 four and four at one point. And it's like, all right, you know, they're feisty and they you know, they do some stuff offensively and whatever. But I think ultimately, yes, they just – lack of talent caught up to them. They're in transition. They're rebuilding. They're sitting there with a bunch of dead cap money. And I think that's okay. You know, that's that's just where they are. There's a lot of work to do to, to get back. So cause of death, yeah. I mean, the quarterback situation, they didn't have enough there with Mariota. They didn't have enough around him. I don't think the defense was – as much as they've probably overachieved a touch – they're um, they're still just not very good that side of the ball. So yeah, there's, I think it's a fair. Aren't enough good players. They're just not that good. All right, let's go with the uh, the Rams. Uh, well, they lost their injury witch doctor, and therefore everybody got hurt. That's everything, huh? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, all of their good players, with the exception of a couple, got injured. Aaron Donald, who's barely missed a snap in his entire NFL career, all of a sudden gets an injury. Like that's how bad things are with the Rams. Super Bowl hangover. Could you imagine if this was the year they had last year after the Stafford trade? That I mean, would, I, that yeah. would feel disastrous. So, I mean, I think they're— It would be disastrous. They're drying their tears with their Super Bowl ring right. somehow. It doesn't really absorb, but they're drying their tears with their Super Bowl ring. Maybe it does now. Maybe it does. A lot of crevices you in that do thing. a lot of things. Um, so it doesn't feel as bad, I don't think, probably in uh, Rams' offices. But I mean, clearly, It's all worth it, right, because you got the Super Bowl ring. But yes, yes if things had gone in a different order, if like this was the year where they got injury-riddled— and you just traded everything for Matthew Stafford, this would be, people would get fired. I mean, everybody in the building would be like, this is the worst decision ever made. Get out of here. They probably wouldn't make it to the next year to try and win the ring. Um, Even before the injuries hit, though, I know that the offensive line was poor in part because of injuries, Mm -hmm. but things like Andrew Whitworth retiring, replacing him with Joe Noteboom before Noteboom got hurt, he had had a couple disastrous games against the 49ers, against against the Bills, against better pass rushers. They were already taking a step back on the offensive line. And then, oh, by the way, they were going to reshuffle it, you know, every five plays. So the O-line, much like the Colts, I think was the root cause. The, that was caused a little bit by the injuries. And then after all that, it was like, well, Stafford got hurt and Cup got hurt. And Allen Robinson wasn't good. And he's hurt. And Aaron Donald's even hurt. Yes. Like even Aaron Donald is missing games this year. It's almost impossible to find players on the Rams that haven't been hurt this year. Yeah, I mean, good for Jalen Ramsey. He's still out there 
battling. But um, I think injury is absolutely the biggest issue with the Rams. And just be, you know, every year, because uh, they take different approaches to their team building strategy, can't wait to see how they how they bounce back and what their strategy is here. But I think injuries in the old line for them as well. Mm-hmm. And then the Cleveland Browns have officially been eliminated. Cause of death, Sam. Uh, well, a, a cynic might suggest karma. Um, but I think ultimately it comes down to they just lost a bunch of close games. Like, I don't think they were even – I mean, you could say – the defense was a problem, absolutely. If you're looking for an area of the team that was like the single biggest weakness, it was probably the defense for most of the season. But they were actually good enough to win games to keep them alive. Like, if they change nothing other than simply the bounce of a ball here or there this season, they should still be in contention. They should still be in the hunt. Now, maybe that would be going away because Deshaun Watson hasn't fixed anything since coming back or hasn't upgraded the position yet. But... I think they've just been kind of unlucky in a weird way. I think they played enough or played well enough. Certainly Jacoby Brissett played well enough to win enough games or more games maybe than they would have been expecting to win and still be in contention to the point where Watson came back and then he hasn't elevated anything. So they lost they lost that disastrous game in week two to the Jets, 31-30, to where they blew it. I mean, they gave up two touchdowns in what the last minute plus. Um, lose to the Falcons by three. Lose to the Chargers by two. Lose to the Ravens by three, Bills by eight, and then a couple bigger losses the last couple weeks. But look, I thought Jacoby Brissett played well, but part of those losses were he plays better in a protected situation. He wasn't playing well in comeback situations. He throws some game-ending interceptions. So part of it was just not having their starting quarterback. I do think that probably affected them a little bit because Brissett played fine, still could have offered a little bit more. I think some. I think they're defensive line team building strategy caught up to them where they were just Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney both guys were injured a little bit Clowney missed a little bit of time in particular but their defensive tackles could not rush the passer couldn't stop the run I think specifically from a team building effort the defense fell apart but it was the defensive line and it is one of those places where like analytically I I think they took a really strong analytical approach where it was like we're not going to overinvest in the defensive line. We're not going to over, like other teams do, we're going to invest um, a little bit more in guys like Taven Bryan in uh, retreads and, and it hasn't worked. Like it's at the extreme level of bad that it didn't work. And I think that's a big part of it for the Browns. Say what you want about, you didn't have Watson and Brissett's end of the game stuff. And I really think the defensive line is what came back to bite this year for the Browns. Yeah, but I also think, so I've seen a lot of people criticize you know, they, they passed up on investing in the defensive line to invest heavily in the secondary and instead, and that's just not the way you win games. And I think the bigger problem is the investment in the secondary hasn't worked. Like, it's not I, that... No, absolutely. It's not... It's true. To me, the problem is not that it took resources away from the defensive line and that's the issue. It's that the place you invested the most hasn't been good. Like, Denzel Ward hasn't been good for most of this year. Um, John Johnson had you know, made a play the other day, and it was like the first play he'd made for the Cleveland Browns since arriving there. Like, the area they actually invested hasn't reaped rewards, which might change the entire complexion of the defense. Like, if their secondary was playing as well as they probably thought it would do, we wouldn't care that the defensive line was only Miles Garrett and, you know, the occasional bout of Jadavian Clowney. Is that it for eliminated teams? I believe so. Well, that we haven't already covered. 
I think we've only got four new ones. Well, there we go. Yeah, we'll do uh, we'll do bigger up top autopsies this uh, this off season, of course. Great times, but uh, rest in peace to all those teams that missed the playoffs, hmm. and there'll be even more coming up this week. Um, it's never too late to play holiday music. You know, we said early, but now it's never too late. You just keep it going. It's never too late to start thinking about gifts. You could do a late gift from our friends at Manscaped. Huh. Whether it's for a friend or friends in your pants. Mm-hmm. You can make that. You can make this as a season to be jolly with Manscaped. Do your little drummer boy a favor and use the Lawnmower 4.0, which um, we may have our special guest, John, may admit that you know, he's a big lawnmower guy. Endorse. Endorses mm-hmm. the lawnmower later on in the show. Um, avoid another silent night in the bedroom, then add in Manscaped's top-of-the-line shower products to have the people thinking, all I want for Christmas is you. Next Christmas, or maybe New Year's. Uh, Santa cares about his sack, and so should you. Look nice when you get naughty by going to manscapes.com slash PFFNFL for free shipping and 20% off. The Manscaped Platinum Package 4.0 is the one-stop shop for the man who deserves it all. It has everything needed to help you deck the halls from face to balls just in time for mistletoe season or uh, New Year's season. The Platinum Package 4.0 sitting under the tree is guaranteed to put anyone in the holiday spirit. And uh, look... Sometimes you give late gifts, so why, why, why not do it right now? Mm-hmm. And for the perfect stocking stuffer, add in the brand new Body Buffer, an incredible body scrubber that makes exfoliating easy and a lot cleaner than that old loofah. So save 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash PFFNFL. That's right, 20% off plus free shipping by going to manscaped.com slash PFFNFL. Be thankful this holiday season for the best gift of all from Manscaped. Your balls will thank you. All right, what are we getting into here? Mobile quarterback discussion? Yeah. Where'd this come from? Uh, well, oh, our friends, our friends within PFF here said this would be a great discussion for us to have. Here. Yes, David Salfaro uh, brought this up. I think it's something that was coming up anyway, naturally, based off what we're seeing. Have we reached the point now where athleticism at the quarterback position, being able to run, all those kinds of things, it's not like a bonus. It's not, hey, this is a nice thing you bring to the table in addition to actually doing your job as a quarterback. It's actually a necessity for the prototype quarterback in 2022. Like we're no longer looking for the next Peyton Manning or Tom Brady. We're actually saying if if you're going to be that style of quarterback, you almost need to be those guys because what we're looking for looks more like Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes or Justin Herbert or even Joe Burrow. It's a, a Trevor Lawrence. It's a guy that can move. And if you can't move, you're actually restricting so much of the offense that it's too hard now. It's too hard to be that good so that you can survive as that kind of player. And most of the guys you mentioned are still pocket-first guys who can run. Allen runs a little bit more than the other guys on the list. There's the other extremes, which we have Lamar Jackson, Justin Fields, uh, Jalen Hurts, who are the running game, right, for their teams. They are the, the catalyst for their running games. So the question is, do you need a mobile quarterback now? Mm-hmm. I'd say probably yes. Um, the idea now we are two years removed from Tom Brady being the Super Bowl winning quarterback but I think part of the whole thing is we shouldn't be chasing Tom Brady Peyton Manning Drew Brees any longer anyway right like Aaron Rodgers was the first guy who kind of came in and was like I can do those stuff that those guys do and oh by the way I'm really athletic and can run and throw on the run a little bit more and that felt like a cheat code uh, for a few years of Rodgers career and I think we are at that point. I think it always has, but now teams understand how to use it better. Like, we've gone to the days where you're like, we don't want our quarterback running ever because you expose him to a hit, and that's the worst thing that could ever happen. You know, we can't have that. 
Now teams are like, oh, if I've got a guy that can move, we're going to tap into that. Maybe we're not going to run QB power every play, but we're going to use the fact that this guy is athletic and mobile and can change the dynamic of what a defense has to do. Because, you know, you had Aaron Rodgers before that, like Dante Culpepper at one point was a cheat code, uh, Donovan McNabb, like these guys that could be pocket passers, but also take off. And when Culpepper took off, he would outrun, you know, he'd run over linebackers. When McNabb took off, he would make plays. You go back like Joe Montana was heralded as bringing something different to the table because he would scramble. And this was like witchcraft at the time. You know, a guy that can just, he'll, he'll leave the pocket and then he'll run and then he'll make a play. It's like, what is this? How do we stop that? Like, you know, so it, it's, I think we've just evolved to the point now where because offenses are so prepared and willing, eager to like assist that part of their game, you can actually build things into the system that just causes so many more problems than this guy's going to be in the same spot every drop back. Well, let's describe what, what does QB mobility look like? Because if you're going to throw Joe Burrow into the mix here, the thing Joe Burrow does is scrambles a couple times a game for a first down, mm-hmm. right? Which I think is great. I mean, it's, I think that's extremely valuable. And the, the way I always phrase it as, um, not Burrow's style, raising the floor of the offense, but it's like, it just it, it's a couple plays a game where you don't have to make a great throw, a couple plays a game where you don't have to um, read it out perfectly, and a couple plays a game where your receivers might not separate, but you still have an answer. Um, The other thing is there was a big question on Twitter the other day. I think it was Ben Fennell talks a lot about NFL and strategy, and he says, I love two-man, the coverage, right, which is five guys in man coverage and two safeties over the top, which feels like the safest coverage, right? I get everybody manned up, and I got two safeties helping. Deep, right? This is going to win. And, you know, wh- why it's it's used so infrequently in the NFL, and it's because you have nobody accounting for the quarterback, right? You, you, you A mobile quarterback crushes that because nobody has their eyes on the QB, and you have four rushers, and you have six escape routes, and um, you just can't run that coverage. So I think that's another part of the mobile quarterback experience. When you have a guy that can scramble or you have a guy that you have to account for in the run game, it does dictate coverages but that I think you're going to see. I would, I would go back another step. I don't think it's just a guy will take off and scramble. Like I think it's talking about a guy that will move the pocket, that will be on the run at times, that will get out of plays, that will roll to the right or left, that will scramble to the right or left and still make a throw. So if you... So Burrow's in that bucket for you? Yeah. So if you look at all plays where a quarterback has either rolled in one direction or the other you know roll out scrambled and uh, or just moved essentially in a major way from the pocket Brady has done that 22 times this year right Patrick Mahomes has done that 163 times this year so it's like an order of magnitude in a different direction um even Joe Burrow has done it like three, four times more than Tom Brady. I wouldn't use Brady as a comparison here, though, because he's playing a different game now. He's 45, and he is very purposely trying to stay in the pocket. Yeah, but that's like this is the the immobile quarterback that is becoming a, an, a relic that doesn't really exist anymore because but there was everybody's a, cho- choosing these guys that can move. Well, here's what I would say about that, right? Brady from 2014 to 2020 or whatever it was, would have a handful of those plays where he did expand his game and made some out of structure, outside the pocket types of plays. It was never his game. But again, this is like in baseball chasing a guy that throws 88 miles an hour with incredible command. 
It's like saying, I want everybody to be Greg Maddox. It's like, well, you can't be so good with your command and control that chasing that is is fool's gold, yeah, right? Yeah. That's why you don't want to chase Brady, Breeze, or Manning because they're so much better at everybody at winning from the pocket. Decision-making, accuracy, timing. That's why you can't chase that guy because it doesn't exist. Yeah. Picking it's, a, it's, it's as rare as a Josh Allen. Picking another year at random, he had 50 of them in 2016 which is you know more than twice the number that he has now, but it's also Aaron Rodgers that year led the league with 162. So like it's it's an order of magnitude less than all the quarterbacks that we're seeing move in that direction now. Like Brady is the last of the old school. Well, what about Kirk Cousins? What about Kirk Cousins? You're gonna make me find Kirk Cousins. So like it's like a loaded question because it's always posed as, do you need this thing to win? And it's not really true. You don't absolutely need this one thing to win. Because, like, the, the Kirk Cousins Vikings could win this year. They could. Yeah. And when you're analyzing the NFL, first off, we know you don't just look at the Super Bowl winner and say, do what they did. And then if you, if you are kind of smart, you say, okay, who's in the final four, right? And if, you, if Kirk Cousins and the Vikings make the final four and it's the Vikings, the Eagles, and then, the say, the Chiefs and the Bills, right? Is there a... Oh, everybody needs a Mahomes or an Allen to win in the NFL. Well, yeah, they're the best quarterbacks in the NFL. You need a Mahomes, Allen, or a Burrow, right? Or everybody needs an Eagles, Jalen Hurts. That's the new wave. Oh, but Kirk Cousins throws a wrench in it because he doesn't move, except that one time he outran Zach Allen, whoever it was. Mm. Poor old Zach Allen. So it's kind of like a loaded question. Do you, do you have to have this one thing, a mobile quarterback, to win? Well, okay, but if you just look at the quarterbacks, just look at PFF grades right now, right, for this year, Mahomes, number one. Obviously, yes. Burrow, number two. Also, yes, by, I think. Josh Allen, number three. Absolutely, yes. Jalen Hurts, number four. Absolutely, yes. Andy Dalton, number five. No. Lamar. Jacoby. No. Gino. Yes. Tua. No. So you, the top five, essentially, is taken care of before you get to any quarterback where it's even debatable. So I suppose the question is more, are you putting a ceiling on what you can be if you don't bring this thing to the table? I would say yes, because this, but the ceiling is there because players probably aren't going to be Brady, Breeze, or Manning, right? Because it, it, this was probably true even when they were in the league, because you would just take them out of the equation. And I guess you had Philip Rivers, you had Big Ben at the end of his career. I guess those those would be considered uh, immobile guys. Big Ben would break break free from a lot of tackles and stuff, but they were pretty much immobile. So, yeah, I mean, if, if, if it's – is this an advantage to have a running quarterback or a guy that's mobile? Yes. Are there more teams tapping into this rushing ability as part of their offense? Absolutely. Um, but I look at Mahomes as a guy that they're not, they're not using him in the design running game often. They'll run, like, the occasional speed option. But what makes him special is you, you can't play certain coverages against him, right? You, the Chiefs are so tough to defend because they have a good scheme that's going to get open. And if the scheme doesn't work, Mahomes is going to scramble around and create an open receiver. And then if he scrambles around and he doesn't create an open receiver, he's going to be just fast enough to pick up a first down. That is a cheat code when you have it. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think it's a huge, huge advantage to have that level of mobility. It's also a huge advantage from a Josh Allen perspective. They can run QB sweep whenever they want on third and three. And he can scramble. He's part of the design game. And it's also a big cheat code to have a Jalen Hurts, Justin Fields, or Lamar Jackson as a part of your run game 
where they're making life easier for everyone else. Yeah, I think it does two things. I think it raises the floor of a, an offense and a quarterback. It makes it easier for them to play the game, essentially, at a viable level. So if Jalen Hurts couldn't run, would we even would he still be the starter in Philadelphia if all he could do was stand in the pocket and make plays as a passer? I don't think he'd have made it past the first year. Justin Fields, if Fields couldn't do what he can do on the ground, would he still be the quarterback for the Chicago Bears based off simply what he's doing with his arm? Probably not. Like it, it raises that floor and means you can buy time to develop the other area, which is, of course, still 100% necessary. Um, and then the other thing it does is it increases the ceiling as well. Like it raises everything because if you have a quarterback that's really, really good as a passer and all of a sudden you say, okay, now wave the magic wand and now you're also not possible to be tackled behind the line of scrimmage. Like Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is essentially an all-pro caliber quarterback that somebody has waved a magic wand over and now he's just impossible to get corralled in the backfield. The guy doesn't ever take a sack. You can't track him down because apparently he's able to run in a circle 103% as fast as he can run in a straight line, also able to run 101% faster than the guy chasing him regardless of who that guy is. So all of a sudden that makes Mahomes the greatest quarterback the game's ever seen because you just added this whole layer of stuff that makes it impossible to defend. So we've reached this point where I think, is it necessary to have that? No, because Tom Brady still exists, because Kirk Cousins can still play at a Pro Bowl level, and yet the second Kirk Cousins has to move, you're like, play's over. Like, rack up the next one. This is, it. This is over. This is done. So obviously you can still play and still function and still play at a high level with that level or that style of play and those limitations. But I think we've definitely reached the, the stage where it makes everything better across the board. So it, it, it's always a good thing if a guy has that. Yes, I completely agree. I mean, look, um, it, you, you can also have those games where if the passing game is off, you could still have success, right? That's the idea of raising the floor. You could still pick up 50 or 60 yards on the ground, whether design runs or scrambles, steal a few first downs. Um, the Giants this year with Daniel Jones, there are games where Daniel Jones doesn't have a great passing line, but before there's six or seven first downs in there as a runner. Yeah, I think, I think it's a different way to win. And the other thing that we're going to see, I believe, in the NFL is different ways to win. I, other teams are going to win Super Bowls, right? We went through this stretch of Tom Brady-led teams winning every other year for the last eight, ten years. And even though I think there is a clear Mahomes, Allen, Burrow at the top of the QB charts right now, who are the best quarterbacks, I don't know that those guys, their teams are going to win the Super Bowl every year. You might have the Eagles win with Jalen Hurts in a different style this year. You might randomly have a different team and a different style win in different years, and that's going it's, it's to open things up a little bit to, oh, there are different ways to win because it's not the same quarterback <laughs> leading you know, Super Bowl wins every year. Unless Mahomes and the Chiefs do become the dynasty that everybody thought, um, I do think there's going to be different styles that win over the next 10 to 15 years or have opportunities to win. So, yeah, it's a huge advantage to have a running quarterback. Um, the, the analytics people try to use yards before contact as an example, right? Like a quarterback's yards before contact on a design run is so much higher than, say, a running back. I think a little bit of that is uh, selection bias because they're pulling, they're pulling the ball when they have the best opportunity. But that is, even if it's cheating the stat, that is showing what the cheat code is. 
yeah. right? Just ha- doing a zone read or running power where the quarterback can pull it is showing the advantage that you have there. It changes the arithmetic yeah, I mean, there's, of the defense. There's a reason that entire college offense is a function running the option. Like, that's the offense. You yeah. know what I mean? Because it is basically a cheat Make code. the defense wrong. It's a way of invalidating the fact that you have superior athletes and players than we do. We're going to cause confusion. We are going to put you in a bind, and we are going to beat you schematically in a way that you don't really have an answer to. And the NFL never tapped into that because quarterbacks are too valuable. You didn't want to risk them getting hurt. Now they've just decided, you know what, it's actually worth the trade-off. Yeah, so again, I'm, I'm very careful with the notion that like there's only one way to win in the NFL now. Get on board or, or be left behind. But I would say for defenses too, when you're trying to defend Mahomes, Allen, Lamar, whoever, Herbert, any of these guys, it is – think about the difficulty there, right? You have to defend regular throws from the pocket. You have to defend throws outside the pocket. How do you build your defense – to stop those guys when you're trying to beat the lamar ravens you have to take on a power running game where he's also the fastest player on the field right you have to take on power runs in a you know a gus edwards type of running back and then oh by the way lamar's the fastest guy on the field he could run it on any given play as well with the chiefs we talked about do you want a designated edge rusher who's so good at getting off blocks he's going to keep Mahomes in the pocket like that level of specification well Mahomes is special inside the pocket outside the pocket and as a scrambler how do you build your team to defend that I think that is as big of an issue as anything the advantage that they bring as runners and then the disadvantage that they put on the defense because you got to build a linebacker unit and a secondary and a defensive line to handle this this is going to get it's going to be relevant when we get to draft conversations as well but I think it's reaching the point where it's like arm strength to me Like, can you survive in the NFL with a marginal NFL arm? Yes. Does it make it so much harder? Yes. So if you're looking at these quarterbacks in the draft and you're evaluating, okay, who do I like more? Who has better chance of panning out, et cetera, et cetera? One of the questions you have to be asking is, if the answer to the question, does this guy have NFL mobility, is no, he better be amazing at everything else because he needs to be now. Like, it's not not an even debate anymore. So it's like arm strength. If this guy doesn't have a strong NFL arm, he had better be incredible at the other stuff, the, the sliders that I talk about. Like if one of them is way down, the other two had better be sky high, otherwise this thing isn't working. So I think quarterback mobility is now reaching that kind of level to me where if you don't have that, you need to be a really, really good at everything else. The, uh, Zach Wilson's a hot topic right now because he just got benched again and he's looked absolutely disastrous on the field. He's rushed for 102 yards this year. He's picked up a couple key first downs, right? That was his game against Buffalo. He had seven first downs on the ground so far this year. If Zach Wilson had Justin Fields' level of mobility, would he still be the starter, right? Like those ugly Zach Wilson games when when the pocket game isn't there or the passing game isn't there, if he could steal 80 yards on the ground, all right, I can't throw tonight, but I'll scramble. I'll be part of the design game. He'd still probably be the starting quarterback there. Yeah, That's the type of stuff I think we're talking about. The margin for error for Zach Wilson isn't there. Where Look, Justin Fields looked just as bad as Zach Wilson for for portion, like the early part of his career. Right. But once they tapped into his rushing ability, then it did, as you always say, buys time for him to develop as a passer and opens up more throws. And it's because a- you have to have defenders accounting for Justin Fields, he's going to have more open throws inherently. And it's a different level of athleticism in college than it is in the NFL. Like, uh, Zach Wilson was athletic enough to be able to play that way in college, 
He's not athletic enough to be able to play that way in the NFL, same way like Christian Ponder wasn't. You know, like there's a difference between athleticism required to do that in college and the NFL. Anything else you want to add here? No, not for that topic. Done with that one. I've had enough of that topic. Is that good? Is that was good. Those good answers. Did we give enough answers? I mean, it's not for me to say. We'll let the people decide. More of a listener question. Did we answer your questions about a mobile quarterback? All right, so uh, let's talk Tua here. Tua Tungavailoa, he's in concussion protocol once again. Um, we were not able to discuss this in the review show because it wasn't even known about yet. Yeah, we didn't know that he was going to be in concussion protocol. But there was a hit during the game where he smashed his head against the ground again. Uh, where That was the likely cause yeah. of the concussion. It was also right when he was, what, 9 for 12 for about 250. And um, he threw three interceptions after his head smacked against the ground. And um, he'll be out for this week. Teddy Bridgewater coming in. But more importantly, what what is going to happen here? How did he stay in the game? How is this not diagnosed? He's concussed for the third time this season. And as we've mentioned on the show here before, there's a difference between getting cleared to play and the hypothetical best thing that you should do for a concussed player when they should be back out there. Cleared to play is a pretty you know, pretty clear protocol. Like we got this thing that says you're good enough to play. Um, however, what we don't know scientifically right now is if that's the best for you long-term as far as concussions go, right? Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is a mess. Um, the Tua situation this year has been like, the NFL has been presented with a worst case scenario actually happening. You know, like to, to this point, a lot of this stuff has kind of been theory and what ifs and like, oh, imagine if this happened to a guy. Like it's been the, the kind of nightmare scenario. Well, you put a guy out too soon after a concussion, he gets a second one, then blah, blah, blah. It's actually happened almost chapter and verse for Tua. The first hit, the alleged back injury that everybody I think pretty much clearly, you know, says is a concussion. He then gets a second concussion slash first concussion a week later. That's that's the nightmare scenario, right? The yeah. guys like Chris Nowinski, the, the experts in this field are saying this is a disaster. This is the worst thing that could happen for him. Now, two concussions back to back. He should be shut down for a long period of time. So then you get this world of how long, you know, who's to say? Because the doctors, essentially, the protocol, you go through this return to play protocol and effectively at the point where you're no longer symptomatic or they can't detect anything wrong means you're cleared to play. But there is a difference, medically speaking, and again, I'm relaying smarter people than me who say this. There's a difference between I can't find any symptoms that say you are still concussed and your brain is 100% healed. And the problem is nobody knows where you get, how, you, how long it takes to get from point A to point B. So being asymptomatic is different from being 100% healed and nobody has any idea how long that length of time is or if it's the same for you versus me, et cetera, et cetera, right? So at some point, the doctors look at him, can't detect any symptoms anymore and say, I got no reason not to clear him. Now the decision goes back to the team who are like, well, the doctors say he's good to go. I'm not a doctor, so he's good to go, right? Why would I know any better than the doctor? It's like, yeah, but that's not quite the way this works. So in a lot of other sports, you see these guys get shut down for a period of time, particularly when you're dealing with like back-to-back concussions like they will be out for a long time but in the nfl we're in this world where the 17 games 
there's a game next week, and then there's a game the week after that, and there's a game the week after that, and they're all really important, particularly for a team like Miami, who all of a sudden is fighting for their playoff lives. So you're really disincentivized to like protect, to be overly cautious and protect your player, right? So then we get this one where he goes back, he's been cleared, in theory, he's healthy, and then his head hits the turf again, and it's concussed again. Now, did the two previous ones contribute to this? Don't know, not a doctor again, but it probably didn't help. And now you've got three concussions in what, a couple of months? Yeah. So now again, when do you put him back out there? In another sport, that guy wouldn't play again this year and wouldn't even be a conversation. He'd be shut down for a long period of time. In the NFL, he's not going to play this week. We already know that. But if Miami is still in it and he's cleared medically next week, does the team say, sit down? Sorry, we're protecting you from you. Even though the doctors can't give me a reason not to do this, we're going to take the decision and not play you. Or do they say, we're not winning a game with Teddy. Tua needs to play. He goes out there and plays. I also think... So Dr. Alan Sills is the NFL's, you know, medical, chief medical guy. And he said that Tua exhibited zero behavior or symptoms in the game that would have triggered the concussion protocol during the game. At which point I have to kind of ask, what the hell are the independent medical spotters actually looking for? Because his head smashed off the turf backwards, which is the, like the worst way of hitting your head off the turf, right? Now, okay. He didn't get up and wasn't woozy and staggering around the place the way he was with the quote-unquote back injury. But, like, if all the spotter is doing is looking for a guy that looks visibly drunk, then what is the point? Well, like, surely the guy has to be able to recognize that dude smashed his head off the turf in a way that quite often leads to concussions. Let's pull him into the blue medical tent and ask him some questions. Like, if, if he's not doing that, what's the point in that guy? Isn't there, is there a way that, because if they didn't see symptoms after that, but apparently they did on Monday. But that, Monday. so that, that I think it can happen that way, right? That the guy is asymptomatic at the time and reports them later on when they emerge. But my question is more, nobody even thought to check him. Nobody even realized that there was a potential head injury. Yeah, there was, like, if there was he another passed, one this week. If he'd gone out, like if he'd hit his head and the dude at radio down said, Tua just smacked his head off the turf grab him into the medical tent and ask him whatever the concussion questions are. If he passed all those tests and been put out, okay, I, I think at some point you can't really do anything about that, right? If he's passed the concussion test, you kind of have to live with that and throw him back out there. But the fact that nobody even spotted that this had happened makes a mockery, in my opinion, of the independent medical concussion spotter. Like if you can't spot that, then you're not bringing anything different to the table than the guy who's just sitting there going, oh, it looks like our quarterback is drunk. We should probably take him out of the game now. There was some other quarterback who hit their head this week, and I was thinking, like, oh, they're going to check him. Yeah. And they didn't. Done. And so then you wonder, okay, if, do they check him? And if they pass protocol, like you said, you just throw him back in there. Or do they just – because I, I don't think the NFL wants to have this rule where every time your head smacks the ground – you're out of there. I think you need to have the rule where somebody you get looked at every time that happens. But to your point, but but we, that doesn't even that doesn't always answer the questions, right? No, it does. A lot of times the symptoms show up a day later. But again, you're being overly cautious, you would say if you hit your head, you're out. It doesn't. But, but then it, that remember we got to that overcorrection stage where Teddy got hit the week after replacing Tua and got taken out and he was fine. But it is probably capturing some of these that get through. And more to the point, they're acting like this already exists. They're like, no, we have an independent spotter. Like, but if all that guy is doing is seeing a guy like staggering around the field, yeah, how did he not spot? That him? doesn't feel like something we need an independent medical guy to achieve. 
What that guy should be doing is spotting the guy where this dude hit his head on the turf in a way that often creates concussions. Let's look at him. If he then passes that check, fine. There's nothing you can do about that. But if he if he doesn't, then you take him out of the game and you've actually added a layer of protection that isn't there and is being talked about now. Yeah, it's a it's a rough situation. It looks like Ted Teddy Bridgewater is going to start this week, and then I think you know we've talked off air. Do the Dolphins just come back and say, okay, Tua had his week off, passes protocol, he's back, or does a decision need to be made to just shut him down for the year? Because there's not hard evidence that you know you need six months off or months off or anything like that but there's enough we know that the impact of multiple concussions is bad yes we don't have i don't think hard evidence that says you're more likely to get these concussions but we do know if you do get a bunch in succession they're bad right and and they do get worse over time so that that might be enough to just say hey Tua, let's take the season off and reevaluate this thing a couple more weeks in the playoffs here yeah i mean you know, Chris Nowinski, again, tweeted back in September the 29th. And for people that don't know, Chris Nowinski is a neuroscientist, a founder and CEO of Concussion, uh, Concussion LF, Concussion Legacy Foundation, um, is one of the guys at the forefront of this whole CTE um, concussion learning and, and understanding field. Back when he got that first hit, he was like, if Tua takes the field tonight, this was before the second one, um, it's a massive step back for concussion care in the NFL. If he has a second concussion that destroys the season or career, everyone involved will be sued and should lose their jobs, coaches included. We all saw it. Even they must know this isn't right. Now, remember, that's just after the quote-unquote back injury. He then got the second concussion and then went through the return-to-play protocol, got thrown out again. Now he's on the third, and we still don't know if he's going to play again this season. Like, the team... The first thing, which would be a reasonable thing to do at this point, is to immediately say he's not playing again this season. We're shutting him down. Like, it's not worth the risk to Tua to put him back out there this season. He's done. They, At the very minimum, they have not done that yet. And that raises the frightening possibility that Tua comes back to play after this third concussion in two, two and a half months. We'll have more on the Tua situation with John Anik later in the show. So uh, stick around for that. I want to get through a couple more news items here. J.J. Watt has retired. We did a uh, a little tribute to him on the PFF NFL Daily yesterday. But if you want to give the uh, Crib Notes notes version of that, uh, J.J. Watt was incredible for at least a four-year stretch where he was right up there with Aaron Donald, anything we'd ever seen in PFF history. When we converted from a plus-minus system to our 0-100 to grading system, the person we talked about the most was J.J. Watt because he was breaking the plus-minus system. He was so far ahead of everyone else. We wanted to make sure that we captured the 0-100 to 100 scale properly. Um, an incredible player, played multiple positions, rushed from the inside, interior from the edge, great run defender. He was awesome for the majority of his career. And even though he'd slowed down a little bit, we saw you know a little flashback the last couple of weeks where J.J. Watt still had it. Yeah, injuries essentially robbed us of a of what J.J. Watt could and maybe should have become. But even with what we were left with, he's a Hall of Fame player. Um, you can essentially say, you know, rookie year, getting his feet wet. And then he had a four-year stretch of dominance where it was peak J.J. Watt. And in that four-year period, he won Defensive Player of the Year three times. So that is pretty well unprecedented and, and speaks, I think, fairly to the freakish level of dominance. Like he was the best sack artist in the NFL at multiple different positions, interior 
and outside. He had more tackles for loss than anybody. He batted passes at a rate that nobody has seen before. He had 16 in a season one time. Um, and they even threw him out there as like an auxiliary tight end where he was a matchup weapon in, in the red zone for offense. Like he was unstoppable. Um, and then the injury started to hit. And at the same time, Aaron Donald rocked up. I think in a weird way, Aaron Donald takes a little bit of the shine off J.J. Watt's legacy because, you know, before then we thought of J.J. Watt as this truly special generational player. And the thing about generational players is they're supposed to come along once a generation. But it doesn't always work that way. And we just happen to get two generational players show up within three years of each other. And because Aaron Donald just kind of picked up the mantle and carried on going, it's almost like, well, was what we saw from J.J. Watt really that special? Yes, yes, it was. I mean, we're, these are two of probably the best 10 players to ever play the game. Like, they just happened to almost overlap exactly. But, yeah, Walt was an absolute freak show. And that anecdote about the PFF grading, I think, is an interesting one that's unique to us. When we were using that all plus minus system, zero was league average. Anything above that was better than average. Anything below that was below average. Before J.J. Watt showed up, particularly for that position, like interior defensive lineman, 3-4 defensive end, that kind of thing. We thought Justin Smith was as good as it got. He had topped the grading for multiple years. He'd been like plus 30, plus 35, something like that. And he was significantly far ahead from most other players. Well, that's the peak. That's as good as it gets. And then in J.J. Watt's second year, he put up like a plus 90 or something insane. He was like three times higher than anything we'd seen from Justin Smith. So it literally broke the scale. Like it completely changed what we thought of as possible from grading at that position. And then when we went into the zero to 100 discussion, it's like, right, now we have to put the grade on a finite closed scale, zero to 100. There were so many discussions about how do you make J.J. Watt coexist with normal people? Like if J.J. Watt is a 99, nobody else should be hired in like a 65. But that's pretty harsh on like a pro bowl player right or an all pro that looks kind of silly so if a pro bowl player or an all pro is supposed to be 90 then jj watts grade should be like 122 like it doesn't make any sense um so figuring out how to like constrain or manipulate the scale so that it could contain both jj watt and have normal people show up in a range that made sense was like a real problem and that's why the pff grading isn't it's not just uh, the same all the way up it's kind of logarithmic and where it, it gets uh, condensed the further up the scale the further down in the scale you go yeah so uh yeah jj watt gonna retire incredible 2011 draft class him von miller richard sherman was there late in the fifth right i mean there was an incredible draft class back then uh, other than quarterback and uh watt still looks like he could be a productive player not the same level, but be a productive player. Yeah. He's in the middle of his worst season, but the last couple of weeks, he did turn back the clock just a little bit. So kudos to JJ. Great career. Um, you wanted to address some of the Tom Brady rumors. Well, just, yeah, there's been a, a latest development. Um, Mike Florio uh, says, as the coaching carousel prepares to spin, there's increasing chatter in league circles about Sean Payton returning to the Saints, possibly with Tom Brady at quarterback. I like that one. I think of all Brady's landing spots, that might be the best one. It makes Brady sense for Payton. pretty much everybody involved. They were, they were trying to get together a couple of years back, uh, either in New Orleans or illegally in Miami. They, were, they, they had talked about it. 
Um, the Saints have a good receiving core, and they, they have the makings of a decent enough offensive line. So if you're looking at, okay, where's the – what's the best offensive situation? Well, having a Chris Olave, yep. Jarvis Landry, we'll see if Michael Thomas is even there in, in Nolens going forward. But having an offensive coach, Brady was excited to play for an offensive coach like Bruce Arians for a couple of years. Now he's back to a defensive coach. So having Sean Bay Payton coming back. Then you get the Dome. You get the same division. You have a Dome. I think some of the other rumored places where Brady could go, you know, like uh, being with a Josh McDaniels in, in in Vegas, does Brady really want to go to the AFC? Does he really want to have to go to the same division as Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs? Does he really want to have to go through Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, Lamar, everybody in the AFC? Or do you want to stay in the NFC where it's much more wide open going into next season um, from a quarterback standpoint, just from a team standpoint? So, Yeah. It's an interesting one, and of all the rumors, I could see this being the most common one. If the Saints get a couple of interior offensive linemen, that I think is a roster that can win a Super Bowl. Um, and then if you assume— Assuming Brady hasn't completely lost it physically, right? Right, that's where I was going. If you assume Sorry. Tom Brady yeah. is still capable of winning a Super Bowl with that kind of roster, it's a perfect fit. Plus, you have Sean Payton, who is a great offensive mind as a coach— presumably can make that mesh and fun, you know, figure out ways of, of having that work. It really is. And if he's bringing, you know, if the reports are true and he's assembling an all-star coaching staff and he's bringing back Wade Phillips or whatever, you know, or Vic Fangio or Vic whoever Fangio. it is, he's like, that's legit. Would, um, well, then Brady doesn't have to play the Saints twice a year either. True. He might not complete a pass during uh, training camp. Right. But he doesn't have to play the Saints twice a year. The storyline of playing against the Bucks in the same division is uh is interesting where's the cap situation next year another disaster the normal situation they is don't have the... any money right now they have money once it gets to spending time 2023 what are we looking at yeah they're uh 53 over at the moment but yeah, that's usual that's, 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 the, that's the way they work that's, that's the not... way they work but they also don't have a first round pick right from the from the eagles mm -hmm. so it would be curious to see what the saints could do around Brady and there's also these rumors that Gronk would come back as well <laughs> you could have Gronk and Juwan Johnson at tight end could be interesting the other in interesting the landing spot is the Jets who have a very very good roster and don't have a quarterback he wouldn't go to the Jets why not he wouldn't go to the Jets why not I mean, the thing that Brady needs is a roster around him that's capable of winning. The Jets have that already, as demonstrated by the fact that they're still in the playoff hunt with Zach Wilson as their quarterback for half the year. Yeah, but it's so defense-driven. It's so tough to, to count on that. They've I mean, also it, got receivers. Okay, their offensive line hasn't been good this year, but it's also been beat to hell. Like, they have a better offensive line than they've shown this year. Like, the Jets have a roster that can win. Brady's dream is to go to San Francisco, though, right? Yeah, but I, and San Francisco are one of those teams there. where I don't know why they'd want him. Yeah, they might actually say, we're going to roll with Trey Lance and or uh, Brock Purdy and be happy. And they also, by the way, in, in a different situation to like we have zero quarterbacks, they have three. You know, they have the one that they Garoppolo's have all the investment gone. in. Yeah. And then they have Jimmy G, who's played well this year. And then they have the guy that's making Jimmy G look obsolete in Mr. Irrelevant. Like, do you then go, well, none of you guys are worth it. We're taking Tom Brady. All it takes is one Brock Purdy looking like a seventh rounder in the playoffs. For the Niners to say, sure, we'll take that one shot on Brady. And we'll just, you know, regroup the quarterback position in 2024 if we need to. Anyway, I thought that the I thought that the Evan the um the Saints 
Sean Payton return was interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, Saints fans are, are just looking for all these other opportunities because they want the draft pick. They want to trade Sean Payton. I don't think they're considering Payton coming back, but uh, could be could be a possibility now. That might be worth the draft pick. Yeah, I think from um, the other thing I think is going to be interesting is if all these same teams that we're talking about want to be in an Aaron Rodgers sweepstakes. Now, Rodgers isn't a free agent. You have to give up a portion of your future. But the same way there was like this Brady back to New England rumor, hey, what you know, they they got to get the band back together for one last run just, you know, for for old time's sake. I could see Belichick saying, "Actually, I'd rather have Aaron Rodgers." At yeah. 40 years old. We won I mean, Super Bowls with Brady in his 40s. I don't think that's one that works for anybody. Like Brady to New England? Yeah. No, I don't think the pieces are there. I don't think they're going to win a Super Bowl coming out of there. Now, okay, Brady, like the Patriots might think differently about the end of the Brady tenure than they did at the time. But remember, they were the one that wanted to kind of move on from him because at some point the decline was coming. All right, do you want to bring him back years later? <laughs> Be like, well, we realized the grass wasn't greener on the other side. So how about it, Tom? One last go around. It's like he's still like at some point it is going to come and it might have been now. He's going to be like, you guys just lost a game on a uh, pick six on a lateral. I don't want to be a part of that. Yeah. Not doing that anymore. Anyway, interesting rumors, the QB carousel. It, it was never really a thing in the NFL, right? There wasn't all this movement. Well, nobody ever let him go. And yeah. now all of a sudden it's happening. The last two, three, four years, right? QB carousel is fantastic this offseason. All right, let's wrap up the show with explain the grade. Um, I'm sure PFF will have me a low grade for that, but uh, I'll keep it rolling. All right, Steve, this one came about because we, by we, PFF, posted a graphic that had Joe Burrow as the number one quarterback grade this week, to which people immediately replied with, well, wait, didn't he throw two interceptions and almost throw the game away against the uh, New England Patriots? How does that work? People responded. Oh, a lot of people. A lot of people. First off, Joe Burrow, the first half of the game was lights out pristine. He was incredible. I mean, he wasn't missing throws at all, um, including four big-time throws, which were caught early on. But then he finished with six big-time throws, two of which were they fell incomplete. You had a bomb to Jamar Chase, and you had another one um, right on T. Higgins' hands in the end zone on a fade. How many? Six has got to be close for the most in a game this year, right? Yeah, it has to be. I didn't. I haven't checked, but there's usually you know there's a couple games where guys have six. The rare case of a seven or an eight, but six is usually near the top in a well, given season. Through the magic of PFF Ultimate, it's I will product. be shortly able to dial it up and tell you just how many. If it, it is in quickly, fact tied for the best, Josh Allen, Joe Burrow. <laughs> Guess who the other two quarterbacks are? Geno Smith. Nope. Um, who else had six big-time throws in a game this season? Jacoby Brissett. Brissett had a six? Yep. Brissett had a six in week 11 against Buffalo. Oh, that's right, in the comeback. And then the fourth, the wondrous majesty. Mike White. No, that was the P.J. Walker game. Oh, the P.J. Walker game, that's right, (laughs) 21-3. Against the that, that's the only one, by the way, that had six big-time throws. Oh, no, sorry. Both both him and Jacoby had six big-time throws, zero turnover-worthy plays. Just out here slinging it. Wow. Anyway, so, yes, yeah, six is tied for the most we've seen in a single game. 
There's some breaking news we have to get to as well when we're done with this. All right. We'll wrap it up. We'll get to, we'll get to John Anik. Um, so that's the case. And then the two interceptions, um, first one was clearly it was a Tyler Boyd just stops his route. Um, he's supposed to run a slant, basically yep. stops. So it's a miscommunication. Um, I think at worst that pass probably gets broken up if Boyd – you could, you could argue that Burrow's throwing a hospital ball or whatever it is, but that's not a pass that should be intercepted mm-hmm. if the receiver finishes his route. On the other one, that's a pick six. There's some level of miscommunication there. I think we, st- we still docked Burrow for it because he, he does kind of float it. And uh, Marcus Jones, who has the pick six, is sitting on top of the route the entire time. So even if the receiver runs the out cut that it looks like was intended, it's still a dangerous throw. It's not as bad as the pick six might indicate, though. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make a pretty strong argument that neither of the interceptions is his fault. Um, at which point, then you have to look at, well, what does the rest of the game look like? As we've already said, six big-time throws, 87.8% adjusted completion rate in the game. So you strip out drops, uh, passes thrown away, spikes, anything like that. 88% essentially completion rate. 375 yards, there were three drops in there as well. Like, Burrow was absolutely dialed in in that game, even if the offense stalled in the second half I remember watching that game thinking he he has that ability to get the ball there in just enough time right people have criticized Joe Burrow's arm strength in the past and there was certainly some passes outside the numbers that he'll float or whatever it was but he has the knack when he throws a deep out or whatever it might be it gets right to the receiver when it needs to get there and and there's a lot of like just gets there in time before the coverage that that shows his timing his accuracy he was i thought he was pristine on uh, on sunday yeah all right you want to get this breaking news i don't know do i Derek carr has been benched as starter of the las vegas raiders in favor of jarrett stidham of course so jarrett stidham is going to get a look over the next couple weeks for the raiders josh mcdaniels has made that announcement <laughs> All right. <laughs> I mean, your thoughts other than the cackle. That's that's pretty much my thoughts. I mean, sometimes you see a guy get benched and it's to get a look at the young guy that's sitting behind him that there's, you know, untapped potential and talent that maybe he could be something. And then there's getting benched for Jared Stidham. Like what's the point in that? Was, I mean, it's I okay, fine. Do, do you think this ends the car era? Yeah, you can't come back from getting benched for Jarrett Stidham. You're done. It's because they're out of the playoffs. Have we put them in the uh, moratorium here? Have we done that? The Raiders. The the um, autopsy. Yeah, no. I think, aren't they the technically still alive? Isn't there some weird confluence of things that can still get them into the playoffs? Maybe. I don't know. I don't think they were one of the officially eliminated teams. I don't know Maybe if they're sitting there waiting, us for, waiting for like the Raiders' autopsy right well, now. Well, either way, they're done fine. now. I mean, Jarrett Stidham isn't leading to the, the playoffs. I just, I mean, I don't see the point in that. That seems like a total waste of time to me, other than now you are moving on from Derek Carr. You're done. Josh McDaniels on the team's quarterback situation. Quote, there's a lot to be sorted through once the season is over. Yeah, like who our quarterback is going forward, because apparently we don't have one anymore. So is Josh McDaniels going to make a run at his old friend Tom Brady? So Brady's a free agent, right? They could pursue him any way they want. Do they want to pursue the Aaron Rodgers trade, get Aaron and, Aaron and Devontae Adams back together? What other options are there for the Raiders? <laughs> I don't know. It's funny because at the time, 
when Josh McDaniels was hired, and remember, it's a whole regime change. Dave, uh, Dave Ziegler takes over as GM and everything. And we were thinking, do you actually want to try to compete this year? In this division with Mahomes, with Herbert and the Chargers, um, Russ at the time, maybe the trade wasn't made yet, but it looked like, hey, the Raiders should just start this rebuild, right? Do you want to, and there was talk a year ago that they should just trade Derek Carr. While the mm. value's there, coming off a playoff run and all that stuff, team like Washington would be desperate for a Derek Carr. Um, it sounds like Carr's going to be moved this offseason, though, instead of last offseason. But the Raiders went the opposite, was my point. Instead of rebuilding and trading Carr and building for the future, they said, nope, we're going to trade for Devontae Adams. We're going to throw a ton of money at Chandler Jones, and we're going to try to win this year. It didn't work. So it sounds like this is a move to essentially ensure that he doesn't get hurt and become on the hook for $40 million guaranteed next year. Well, that's just good business. Sure. Bad for Derek Carr. Yeah, very bad for Derek Carr. Bad for the player. But also basically means this is them getting rid of him. Like he's out of here. Yeah. They don't want to – if his if he can't pass a physical, his $40 million becomes guaranteed. So you don't want him getting hurt in the last couple of weeks. So it's got nothing to do with Stidham, who is, in fact, you know, oh, man. It's just one of the, the guy. It's one of those moves that makes sense from a business standpoint, but what is that? It's the whole message that it sends. It's the touchy-feely thing that we talk about, the message it sends to the rest of your team. Well, it sends the message that we've given up on the season, which is exactly what you're doing. You've given up on the season, but also you're not letting your player make this money. Well, we've given up on the season, and this guy is dead to us. We're moving on from him. Like that's those are the two messages yeah. that you're sending, right, with this move is this season's over and that guy, number four, the leader, not so much anymore. Think of something somebody else will be leading this team going forward. Future Buck, Derek Carr. Potentially. Could be could be Brady of the Raiders and Carr of the Bucks. Well, there's your breaking news. Derek Carr has been benched. All right. And it's now time for uh Jared Stidham who uh, McDaniels was, uh, had a hand in drafting with the Patriots a few years ago. They liked him. Yeah, right up drafter. until they actually might have had to play him, and then they quickly signed Cam Newton off the street. Who did the Raiders play the last couple of weeks? Kansas City and Chargers, is it? This is good. This hmm. is good. It's great radio. Raiders Dead schedule. Air. More of it, the, the better. Kansas City and San Francisco. Kansas City and San Francisco. <laughs> Tyler says the line has already moved to San Francisco minus 10 from minus 6. Oh, that's a big move. Yeah. It's still probably not enough. No. Well, Brock, Brock Purdy versus uh, Jarrett Stidham. Hmm. If you said that a few weeks ago. All right, there we go. Is that it? Is that all we have on the uh, list other than John? Now we're on to John Anik. All right, well, here's the deal. We're going to do our outro right now, and John's going to take it home. So we appreciate everybody for tuning in. We will see you tomorrow as we preview all of the Week 17. Used to be the last week of the season, Sam. Week mm -hmm. 17 action in the NFL. Let's get to John Anik. All right, we are excited to have John Anik here as our special guest. Sam, you recruited John to uh, to the podcast. Huh. Yeah, yeah, well, we reached out. It was one of those things where we reached out through official channels, you know, our people talk to their people, and we were met with a brick wall. And then I saw he was on Twitter, huh. and I was like, well, let's just send him a DM and yeah. see if we can get this thing done. You did one of those stalker, like, <laughs> please follow me so we could DM tweets, right? I, I just, yeah, I sent him the tweet, and I was like, hey, you, you want to be on the podcast? He's like, I'd love to. So we just did it the, the simple, old-school way of, you know, forget the PR people. So, John, welcome. 
It's good to have you here to talk a little. Well, it's great to be with you guys. You know, my identical twin brother didn't believe that Pro Football Focus had called. So (laughs) obviously when this is published, this will be the video evidence and audio evidence that that PFF has my number. And it's great to be with you guys. I've obviously admired your work from afar and uh, follow the NFL uh, as if I know something about it. So I'm excited to chop it up with you boys. It's funny because, um, you know, in this weird world, like everything gets compartmentalized, right? So you're just the UFC guy. You're the UFC's lead play-by-play guy. And then I heard you on um, Pardon My Take recently. And I was like, wow, this guy knows a ton about football. Like, in my mind, you know, you're just the UFC guy. Why would he possibly know anything about anything else? But, of course, huh. everyone else has other interests. And I was like, he'd be perfect to bring on. So well, no, it's, it's exciting. And, and had my career sort of taken a different turn, who knows how much football would be a part of it. You know, I was at ESPN for about six years before I joined the UFC in 2011. And at the time, I just wasn't getting a lot of play-by-play work. I might get one or two college football games a season, and you're certainly not going to get any better with those type of repetitions. But certainly when I left ESPN, I knew that potentially I was – leaving football, which is obviously a dear love for me and my family on the table. And, uh, you know, thankfully, I think I hitched to a pretty good wagon, but I'd be lying if I said there won't always be that NFL tug somewhere, some way, you know. All right, well, we can uh, we could be there for you. You know, if you have yes. NFL takes, we can always be there for you as a repeat guest, depending on how this goes. Um, <laughs> so you're from Boston. I'm, I'm from North Reading, Mass. I don't know specifically where, where, where in Boston are you from? Where'd you grow up? We got to get this history out there now. So we sort of bounced around most of my formative years in Natick. We started in Wellesley. My parents broke up. We went to Natick. I lived in Medway for a while, Newton, Brighton, all over in South the city Shore. for a, a small Shore. time. Yeah. But yeah, we bounced around for a while and, uh, I, we were Patriot season ticket holders when they were the laughing stock of the NFL. And I, I have documented before, I think I'm like 50 games below 500 in Foxborough lifetime. So we put in our time and thankfully they've turned it around recently. But uh, yeah, I haven't been back, back to Massachusetts other than for vacation, you know, here and there in a long time. I, I don't miss the cold, but I do miss being up there and sort of feeling the butt. So what's, what's your take on the current state of the union with the Patriots now? The, uh, the, is Bill Belichick just Lovey Smith minus Tom Brady? Uh, you know, is Mac Jones actually the guy? How come they gave him a defensive coordinator to be his offensive coordinator this season? Like, what is your take on the whole Patriots mess right now? Well, I hate to invoke my twin brother a second time, but he's far more pessimistic about the Patriots and was so at the beginning of the season than I was, right? I wanted to give Bill Belichick, of all people, a semblance of the benefit of a doubt when Matt Patricia was entrusted with that type of responsibility. Obviously, it has not worked out. It has failed uh, disastrously. And I was never a believer in Matt Jones. And as you've heard me say, probably, Sam, locally, there aren't a lot of people that have believed in Matt Jones in terms of the arm and at least what we've seen on film. Certainly, you may like some of the leadership qualities and the competitive fire, uh, which I think has sort of been spun against him a little bit too much over the last week or so. But yeah, I I still believe in Bill Belichick with the right people calling the plays. But uh, I do believe Belichick still loves coaching defense, loves coaching football, should be given the benefit of the doubt. But it's not good in Foxborough right now. And, uh, you know, I still think it's amazing that they control their own destiny with a couple of weeks to play. But that's the way it goes. Yeah, absolutely. I I think you definitely have to look at the fact that Mac Jones did have some level of success last year. (laughs) They made the playoffs. Then they have Patricia as the offensive coordinator. There's all these rumors that they want to bring Bill O'Brien back. So. It does seem like we'll get another shot and, of Mac Jones next year. And Bill O'Brien, remember, was always, when he was head coach, the, the kind of narrative was always, he's a much better coach than he is head coach. You know what I mean? Like the play calling part of this right. is actually working fine. 
it's everything else, like the personnel stuff that really did him in in Houston. Yeah, it is. Uh, you mentioned the Lovey Smith thing. That's only because uh, the when you do the with without Tom Brady, <laughs> yeah, uh, head head coaching record for Bill Belichick. He's in this Dave good. Wanstead, Lovey Smith territory for whatever that's worth. But um, I think that's what definitely makes it interesting. And of course, Boston. Boston's been blessed with a lot of good football and good other sports for the last 20 years. And after years of complaining about stuff, they're back to being, you know, having stuff to uh, to complain about. Yeah, legitimately. Yeah. For a while. <laughs> well, you guys are the experts, but as far as a mobile quarterback, at least a quarterback that can make a play here or there with his legs, I don't know if Belichick sees it as having to push the reset button on the whole offense, and that's what scared him off of someone like Lamar Jackson when the entire league passed on him and seemingly you needed a next in line. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I feel like Mac Jones is almost more static and stiff than Brady. I mean, maybe he's got a little bit more there. You know, I think you can realize success with a, a, a traditional pocket passer and a guy that moves his legs. But for you guys as fans of football, wouldn't you like to have a quarterback that can move his legs a little bit going into the next five years? So I don't know. I hope they look to the draft and, and get aggressive in that area. Obviously the roster on the offensive side of the football needs a lot of upgrades, but Mac Jones, to your point, has had a lot of experience, a lot of NFL starts, I think over 30 NFL starts at this point in time, but just does not pass the eye test for me. And uh, I don't know how patient I'm going to be next season. <laughs> yeah, not just, um, you know, not just would you like to have a quarterback that can be a little bit mobile. I mean, we talked about this on the podcast earlier before you came on. You might actually need a quarterback that has that kind of athleticism in today's NFL. When you look at all the guys that are good in the league, it's either these super freak athletes like Josh Allen, Patrick Mahomes, but even the ones that we don't even think of as being particularly athletic or mobile really are. Like Joe Burrow, you know, Justin Herbert, these guys are still really good with their legs. You know, Aaron Rodgers was always that kind of guy. So if you only have the kind of static pocket passer, you really are leaving just a lot on the table at this point. Yes. Yeah, I mean, we'll see what happens, you know, but certainly uh, the Ravens would be wise to uh, back up a Brinks truck and give Lamar whatever he wants, you know. I knew the Patriots as a fan were going to pass on him and uh, just had to sit there and kind of ingest it and watch <laughs> it. But, uh, yeah, I'm hopeful for the future and somebody that can move a little bit back there. And, uh, you know, I just don't think Mac Jones is the guy, but we'll see what happens. I think an offseason and some different voices in his ear could pay some dividends, but we'll see. You've, uh, you've brought up your twin brother a couple of times. You guys have a podcast together, right? Which I'm fascinated. We do, yeah. We started it this year. You know, we've been competing. Well, I shouldn't say competing because we're not that competitive. We've been over <laughs> 500, but we've never cashed. But we've been playing either the Westgate Super Contest or the Circa Pro Football Contest for the last seven or eight years. You know, I used to be a member of Team Odd Shark back in the day. They sponsored me. Now I pay my own way. It's my annual donation. But I love picking NFL games against the spread. It's hard to pick five against the spread, as you guys know, every week. But basically, the show is sort of centered around that. We use it as a resource to eventually land on our five in the contest. And, uh, you know, another year where we're sort of middling in the uh, in the pack, three games over 500 with a few weeks to go. But, yeah, it's fun to sort of, you know, break his stones a little bit and, uh, and talk about what our foremost sports love is, which is, you know, the NFL. I mean, John, if you want a way of making money, if you want to win this competition, we appear to have stumbled into the most powerful betting edge in football this year because apparently fading Steve is <laughs> around 20 games better then the the best pick that or the best picker that pickwatch.com is a site that tracks all these yeah. experts against the spread fading steve is about 20 games better through this week of the season than the best picker that pickwatch tracks so and i i bet you've had a lot of uh 
things go against you. I mean, I, I don't know, man. This league, man, I just don't even know. I mean, my twin brother's puffing out his chest last week. He goes 5-0, and follows it up with an 0-4-1, you know? I mean, this year you have my particular. respect. You'll probably crush it in 2023, Steve. <laughs> well, we, we're picking every game. And, um, yes, I've had an atrocious run this year. Um, I've tried different strategies. I tried doing, oh. you know, George Costanza opposites. Uh-huh. I tried right. flipping a coin. Uh, but most recently, I had my seven-year-old pick, and yeah. uh, he's coming <laughs> off a good nine and seven week. That's your best which, week which since week four. Best week yeah. Since week four, so yeah, we're experts. Yeah, you know, air quotes when you say we're the experts over here. Right. I mean, the, not the, picking games. The gap that you have over the field is is reduced by the fact that your seven-year-old came and bailed yeah. you out by a couple <laughs> of games. But if you had listened to me and done the opposite throughout the year, you'd uh, <laughs> you might be owning circa at, my, be, at this point. Absolutely, <laughs> you'd be flying. <laughs> Um, the other fascinating thing, though, is you're not the host. Your brother is the host. Yeah, it's sort of interesting because we have the same DNA. He majored in musical theater. So for most of our lives, he was the performer. They were flying me in to watch him sing and dance on stage, right? So now the roles are, are a little bit reversed. And in a lot of respects, I mentioned repetitions earlier. I have a 20-year head start on the guy. So even though we have the same DNA, I think he needs the repetitions in that one share. And uh, I'm happy to sort of lay back and and be an analyst, so to speak. Obviously, you can't really call me an NFL analyst. And sometimes when I feel like I need to direct the show, uh, maybe I'll take the baton a little bit. But yeah, another way for me to knock his balls. You know, we've been joking about the children's (laughs) book, like don't let the pigeon drive the bus, you know. Uh, So it's been fun. But ultimately, it's uh, it's really a, a conduit through which we get to talk about the NFL. And um, that was really what we were after. And, um, you know, if I could talk about the NFL, I guess, with anybody other than uh, Steve and Sam, it would be my twin brother. So appreciate it. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> that's how you get back on. Yeah, ask, ask the next, next <laughs> question. This is the next question's from you, Sam. Go ahead. The, I see it. Oh, the, the ad reads one. Yeah. Well, so, you know, you being the, the play-by-play guy for the UFC, the UFC to me is the gold standard at being able to shoehorn as many sponsorships and advertisements and brands into a broadcast of anything. I've never seen anything like it. Like everything possible is brought to you by somebody or sponsored by (laughs) something. So I'm wondering if you have any tips when it comes to ad reads for Steve, because I mean, I need some help. Look, I'm the guy that does the reads here. I don't always have the best segues. I don't always transition. I don't always have my read right in front of me. Like what, 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 I'm glad you said it. What are the secrets here? Well, so repetitions, obviously, that word that we keep coming back to. Now, Steve, you might have a 30 or a 60-second clock, whereas for me, I might be in the middle of a mixed martial arts round with Joe Rogan and Daniel Cormier to my right, ready to just, you know, bury me, right? So I try to read them as expeditiously as possible. You know, I never want the sponsor to be like, dude, can he not, like, rush through (laughs) the entire spot? But I do try to be pretty quick with it, especially to Sam's point on nights when I can even tell Joe and Daniel before the night, like, look, fellas, we're heavy on the ad front, right? Because <laughs> pay-per-views are commercial free. Like, that's right. the best thing about them. I say all the time, there are 13 Super Bowls a year, the NFL Super Bowl and the 12 UFC pay-per-views. But because there are no commercials, I got a lot of shit to say. So I try to get them out there as quickly as possible. And uh, I familiarize myself with the copy beforehand, which I'm sure you do, Steve, as well. And sometimes you're probably charged with rewriting them a little bit. But certainly if I've read them and edited them to my voice, when I have to deliver them, hopefully I can do it cleanly and uh, as quickly as humanly possible. Because some nights uh, I know it's going to be obnoxious for the viewer and it kind of is what it is. And he also has like the extra layer of having to time it in a way where you know somebody isn't about to get their head kicked off halfway through the (laughs) ad read. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Did you ever cut an ad read for... uh... 
you know, for some blood or anything like that? Yeah, well, I think my most famous knockout call is this fight clock is brought to you by Modelo, and then Jorge <laughs> Gamebred Masvidal knocks out Ben Askren stiff as a board, and it went on from there. Yeah, but, uh Yeah, I guess that's the most famous one. But, uh, we yeah, share a lot of the same. There definitely have been times I'm looking down or looking up at a screen, and maybe I missed something, and uh, it is what it is. And we share a lot of the same sponsors with uh, Manscaped and mm. DraftKings yeah. and everything. Manscaped. Right. So um, you, you should familiarize yourself with the copy. I agree. However, if you want, if you want a thrill, John, read uh -huh. the Manscaped copy live first. You know, uh, sight well, they unseen. Don't, they don't. They just get the like the short boilerplate one. They do get the short. Oh, yeah, by Manscaped. We get the like stories. Yeah, we do get the yeah. stories <laughs> and like seven one-liners in there and all that stuff i'm just yeah. saying that's it's kind of like a thrill ride though when you when you feel it for the first time in front of the audience and you, and you stumble right. through it together right. you know yeah there is some majesty to the longer manscaped ad read absolutely yeah we've experienced that on the anakin florian podcast a little bit yeah and, there you, uh, go. you know i am one of those guys that maybe at a time use the lawnmower uh on my beard uh <laughs> as well as you know other places and uh you know kind of is what it is it works pretty well though it works pretty Look well at that. Right. yeah see shout out to manscaped see this is what we do here <laughs> Um, all right, um, we want to talk a little bit about concussions because the, the Tua situation has popped up once again. Uh, two concussions earlier in the year, one that was under the guise of a back injury initially. Mm. It was not handled well by the NFL, and now Tua has just picked up another concussion. Happened in the middle of the game, Christmas Day. N wasn't picked up until after the game that he was actually concussed. He's in concussion protocol. Um, MMA has had to deal with um, concussions, obviously, just like uh, other sports, and it seems like they're way ahead of the NFL, right? I mean, what 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 have you seen with the way MMA handles concussions, and what does the NFL need to do as far as uh, taking precaution going forward? You know, the NFL is really scary, and certainly this might sound biased coming from a guy who gets his paycheck from mixed martial arts, right? But for me those guys are going 25 miles per hour and obviously their head like you saw with two of this past weekend is hitting the ground in some unorthodox ways one thing i will say as a guy who used to be a boxing journalist who covered a boxing death in 2005 in mixed martial arts part of the reason why there's never been a serious injury or death in the ufc knock on wood is because you can't get a 10 count stand up and come get another concussion so more often than not in the ufc you get the damage in training may be more so than actually in competition. And if you do get knocked out in the fight, hopefully there are no concussive blows that follow, right? But uh, there's certainly a lot of medical experts who suggested the Tua should have been shut down for the season. As someone myself who's been knocked out cold twice playing basketball, hospitalized twice with concussions, absolutely, he needs to let his brain recover. And I do think, generally speaking, in a broad scope, the UFC athletes are afforded that opportunity to recover maybe more than the NFL athletes are right now. Um, but I do think we're going to know more in a quarter century than we do right now, just like we know more now than we did 25 years ago. Uh, but generally speaking, in an octagon, guys, like you can't get yourself going more than, what, 8, 10 miles an hour? And that's a big deal. And I think that's why you don't see necessarily uh, the catastrophic head injuries in MMA that you do in football. Yeah, I think that the time to recover is a big thing, right? In, in MMA, you can shut a fighter down for a long period of time. In football, there's a game next week, and then there's a game the week after that. And you, you have this really weird world right now where there's a difference between I can't see any evidence that this guy is still concussed versus he's 100% recovered. And as soon as the doctors are like, well, I, I don't see any reason I can't clear him, 
the NFL teams are like, well, the doctor said he's good to go. Let's put him back out there. But those yeah. are two very different things. And I think the Tua thing this year is almost like it's literally the worst possible sort of outcome of all of these things. It's the double concussion, the, the first time in short order, that was the nightmare scenario. And then it's, and now he's got a third one, you know, later on in the year. And now you're talking about, well, how long does that shut him down for? And I don't think anybody, including doctors, have a good answer to that question. It's all yeah. guesswork at this point. Yeah, and rarely in mixed martial arts does a chin come back, so to speak. We have seen it in rare cases like Andre Arlovsky. And I don't know how much you guys have been involved in sports or even done any combat sports, but just given the nature of some of my freak injuries playing basketball, right, when I sort of am dicking around boxing or even with my kids, like I have a pretty good idea that I don't have a very good chin. Right. I mean, Steve would be favored against me in an octagon <laughs> in almost any setting to begin I don't with. Think right? But I know that I can't take a shot particularly well. And I can sit here now 25 years in, having covered football and covered MMA. Like, I don't think Tua has a very good chin right now, you know, and I'm not sure it's going to recover. And certainly you can shut him down for a month and think you're doing him good when he probably needs like 36 weeks. So it's really sad. I live here in South Florida. And even though I have no love lost for the Dolphins, I just, I hate to see the way his season and their season is sort of spiraled out of control. Tua, Tua has that thing um, that I have when it comes to playing sports, which is I'm a lot smaller than the people that are causing me direct huh. physical harm, you know? So when I was playing, when I was playing soccer, I had three or four reasonably bad injuries. All of them could be traced by direct contact to the same 250 pound guy that injured me multiple times. When we were playing basketball at the Y, the, like the most hurt I got was when somebody led me directly into Eric, who was, you know, whatever he weighs. Six, three, right. 230, whatever. So like yeah. every serious injury, quote unquote, I've ever had has simply been a case of my inertia at 180 pounds is a lot less than the 200 and whatever pound right. guy I'm running up against. Two is like that, right? Technically, what, 205 or whatever he's yeah. he actually is. He's getting hit by 300 pound guys and it looks like he's just outweighed. He's, he's in the wrong of, weight class. And none of his hits were illegal, anything like that. I mean, he was slammed to the ground by the Bengals. Yeah. Last week, it wasn't an illegal hit, but there is, you know, Tom Brady has um, remained healthy for a lot of his career because he's changed the way he falls. He probably gives up, he gives up completions every now and again to stay healthy, right? Like he'll throw it away. Um, but I, I, we talk a lot on this show about, you know, injury, being injury prone as a quarterback is playing style a little bit. And I'm not trying to blame Tua for his injuries or anything like that, but there are definitely ways to avoid hits, right? Whether it's sliding, whether it's having that internal clock. I think Jimmy Garoppolo holds the ball sometimes too long and a lot of yeah. his injuries are, are tied to that. So it's tricky because it, these aren't illegal hits, right? The NFL is doing a, a lot to take those hits out of the game. But I wonder how much quarterbacks have to change their playing style too, and you know, be a little bit less competitive. Which is like, yeah. hey, live to live yeah. to play another day type of deal. Yeah, and maybe Josh Allen, notwithstanding, but I do even think Josh Allen at some point in his career is going to yeah, have yeah. to pivot a little bit. But you took the words out of my mouth when it comes to Tom Brady. I mean, you can see in all of his film the way he methodically tries to fall even right. sometimes fumbling so as to protect his body. So you're absolutely right. And I think you hit on an important note there, but yeah, man, you know, it's like, I remember when I covered that boxing death in 05, it's really scary. Like there were media members who were begging the corner to throw in the towel because you knew that it was just going to be this perpetual damage. And uh, obviously when it comes to the NFL long-term, just can't quantify how much damage has been done. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird topic right now. Um, I, 
there's no there's no easy way of segueing to this or maybe there is and we're just not professional enough to do it i'm curious how many people do you think know you now purely from the memes of you cormier and joe rogan reacting to crazy finishes in mma is that does that come up all the time when people are talking to you all the time, family or friends. And uh, I do believe to whatever degree, like that has brought a few people actually into the sport. Like who are these guys yeah. that everybody keeps repurposing these memes about it? Oh, maybe we'll uh, we'll actually catch a UFC pay-per-view because that's where this is from. But yeah, it's sort of taken on a life of its own. And as you guys know, as sports fans, like as a play-by-play -play guy, the last thing you want to be is sort of on camera, the center of attention, right? So people are always saying, oh, you know, what's up with the camera? Are you guys playing up to the camera? First of all, we're not playing up to the goddamn camera. I have so much going on. <laughs> the last thing I'm thinking about is this little tiny dot that's in front of Joe Rogan to my immediate right. But certainly... Our sport is just the land of the unpredictable, unlike really any other. If the NFL is king, I think the UFC, in terms of unpredictable theater, is right there on its heels. So our reactions are pretty much what you would see organically from fans. Rogan always says we're professional fans, but right. you know, one guy's winning and then all of a sudden the other guy wins, or there's a quick knockout, or you know, a guy loses his title with 10 seconds to go. It just I don't know. Over the last 18 months, it seems like it happens every other pay-per-view. And uh, yeah, we've sort of had fun with that. I know my family kind of has fun with it. But um, yeah, I don't think I look particularly attractive there, Sam. So I could probably do without some of these names. But it is what it is. I mean, look, it, you know, there's, there's, if you're trying to look attractive in the little pinhole camera, there's not much I can do to help that. Like, that's <laughs> one of those That's one of those situations yeah. where you just you just roll with what you've got, you know? Yeah, right. It is what it is. <laughs> it's. I, I was a wrestling fan growing up like a lot of us and everything. And it is funny how much, I mean, obviously that's a show and there's showmanship and all that stuff, but they know the outcomes and everything. How much of um, UFC is trying to, like how much are you are fighters trying to like build their brand and go with the showmanship aspect of like a wrestling, but of course it's a real fight, you know, like what's, the, where is that balance now? And do you see like advantages to guys that are able to do that? Yeah, it's a great question. We got to get Steve on board the UFC pay-per-view train. This guy grew up a pro wrestling fan. See? I mean, maybe having the play-by-play -play guy on your podcast will. <laughs> right. I'll buy. You know what? I'm buying Steve's next pay-per-view. All right. Go. All right. Awesome. I'm gonna, Certainly, I'll though, in terms of building a brand, right? I mean, it is inexorably linked to financial success in prize fighting. Now, obviously, the way to add zeros to your paycheck is to win the championship. But short of doing that. And that's reserved for only a few select individuals. You need to figure out a way to resonate with the fan base. And some people don't have to do anything but be themselves to resonate with the fan base. You know, say what you want about Conor McGregor, the fighter, one of the greatest mixed martial arts athletes of all time. But as someone who's a paid orator, Conor McGregor is one of the greatest orators I've ever seen in my life. His comedic timing, his wit, he's a tremendous, tremendous speaker. And we do have other guys who are coming up that are not on his level, but are cut from that cloth. They're, they're not pre-scripted like my dear friend Shale son and right? Conor McGregor, McGregor never scripted anything, right? It's just turning around at a press conference and saying, yeah. who the F is that guy? You know what I mean? Just having the perfect timing. So I do believe to be able to get on a microphone and maximize that time parlayed with a fight style that is fan-friendly is the best way to resonate with the fan base. And uh, Sean O'Malley and Patty Pimblett and, and other guys have sort of done that. But 
every time people suggest that there isn't a superstar or there's never going to be another Conor McGregor, somebody else walks through that door. So as someone who's charged with building superstars and humanizing these athletes, I feel pretty confident that uh, there's always going to be some next in line who's going to walk in the door and wow people with, you know, personality or something else. I, now, Patty's entrance the other day, I mean, a couple of weeks ago, uh -huh. that's like, it's like the Undertaker coming out right there. I was, I was ready to go. Now the results yeah. and all that stuff, a little yeah. sketchy, but uh, yeah. yeah, good entrance. We're not gonna well, talk I don't about. know how you guys feel about his accent. Like I could listen to Scousers, Liverpudlians from Liverpool talk all day long. Some people are annoyed by it. I just, I could listen to him literally talk about anything. I mean, right? Sam so used it to be Irish, what's your cup so of tea? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I come on this podcast a few years ago, I would have had a completely different accent, but since moving over here, it's, it's disappeared. It's evaporated. I'm one See, of those I kind of like your accent though. I like yeah, the little, it. it's like half Dublin, half uh, yeah. Cincinnati. It's just, yeah. it's just at the point where Americans can recognize there's something weird oh. about it. You know what I mean? I'm like the transatlantic yeah. golf guy where everybody <laughs> wonders where is that guy even from? That accent doesn't exist in nature. It's been crafted <laughs> in a lab somewhere. That's me yeah. right now. Um, I was curious. So. Is it weird working as a as like a three man booth with a guy like Joe Rogan, who is, let's face it, next level famous, right? Like there's levels to this fame thing, right? There's us who like five people out in the wild have recognized. Mm. There's somebody like you who I think everyone would recognize as the, you know, the, the UFC guy. And then there's Joe Rogan, who's like one of the most famous people in the world at this point. Is that strange? And how come you haven't been on his podcast? Well, we've been trying to coordinate it, you know, and I think Daniel Cormier and I in a perfect world have been trying to coordinate a trip where we would go together and it would be the three of us. DC actually has never been on. I mean, forget me, wow. right? DC, former UFC heavyweight champion who has never been on the Joe Rogan experience. But it's not that I can say that I knew Joe before, right? Because I, even though I did work my first pay-per-view with him all the way back in 2012, he was still a super fucking big deal then, yeah. right? So obviously he has gone to the A-list of celebrity, right? He's one of the most famous men in America to be sure. But there's nothing really strange about it, you know? We just kind of talk like brothers would talk, right? Mostly about fighting. Unfortunately, he doesn't really like the NFL. You probably no, heard I me know. tell a story recently when we did a pay-per-view in Buffalo and uh, the entire Bills offensive line along with Tyrod <laughs> Taylor waiting to meet Joe. And it's like, just, respectfully, he really just does not care. Just smiling and nod. Whereas I'm sitting there, a Patriots fan, like, oh man, I wonder if I could shake Richie Incognito's hand, you know? So, uh, but no, he's a great dude. He is the real article. He's as genuine as it gets. Obviously, he picks up the check anytime we go out and, uh, it is funny having a broadcast partner who is so famous because a lot of people see me as a conduit to get to Joe. I mean, certainly people want to talk to me about Joe, which is absolutely fine. Don't have a bad word to say about the guy. I would put him on a pedestal. I think he is criminally underappreciated, at least in our country, in terms of what he's accomplished as a sports broadcaster. Um, but he has to change his cell phone number every six months. And awesome. certainly a lot of people try to use me to get to him. And there's only been, I think, one individual um, <laughs> who I have actually, you know, been the conduit through which they've actually gotten to Joe, it was, was Roy Jones Jr. Do you have any good Joe Rogan stories in terms of just how crazy his life must be being that famous? Like it's gotta be a completely different world to the rest of us. It is. I mean, his security detail's pretty fierce, right? He's got two guys that go with him everywhere. He's the biggest superstar in every UFC arena we walk into, right? second only maybe to Dana White. Right. So I can't imagine what it's like walking through life like Joe Rogan. And it obviously has changed a lot for him from 2012 to now. I mean, the dude can't go anywhere. And there are certain places 
in the world where people really don't respect privacy, right? So some places in the world, people don't want to necessarily approach him. Other people see it as a once in a lifetime opportunity, you know? Um, but yeah, no crazy real stories. Like people wonder what we talk about when we're sort of in the back. And, um, you know, oftentimes this sport gives us so much to talk about that that's what we want to talk about. We're curious where the other stands on a fight, you know, leading up to it. Um, but yeah, I wish he was an NFL fan. Uh, I don't think that ever, it's crazy no. kid growing up in Newton, Massachusetts. Uh, maybe that's why he grew up when the Patriots were, uh, were always <laughs> looking up at the Dolphins. I don't know. Yeah, it's wild. It, it, I've heard him, you know, mention that a lot that he's and not even NFL, right? Just sports generally like UFC combat sports is all he's into. He's not into other team sports. And yet when you hear him talk about a lot of the things he appreciates, the, the sort of craftsmanship, the, the mastery of that kind of thing, a sport like NFL or even basketball or whatever, seems like the kind of thing that would tick a lot of his boxes. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And I think for a lot of us, as we come up on week 17, week 18, I'm already thinking about those NFL-less months of 2023, when candidly, like waking up is just different for me, you know, like when the NFL is in season and not in season. So yeah, I can't relate to that. But I do think a lot of us, we were just sort of born into it, you know? Yeah. I mean, my mother is a rabid Patriots fan. Like she hasn't been in a good mood for four months. You know? <laughs> <That's> so funny. <laughs> You got to appreciate the last 20 years, though. That's the whole thing. You just you, you I'm watch trying highlights. to tell her. I mean, she walks around yeah. with her Patriots beanbag as if it's going to fucking change something. You, know? <laughs> you just watch replays of Super Bowl 49 and the other the other five. Right, right. Yeah. right. It's real tough times for the Patriots guys right now. I feel for you. I really do. All right. Well, I want to yeah. get you out on this, John. Um, it looks like you're wearing almost a Cowboys shirt here. The uh, Cowboys are going to Tennessee for the Thursday night game. We're really having you on here to preview the game. So if we can get a quick pick from you, it is yeah, right. Dallas favored by 10 and a half over the Titans Thursday night football the game means nothing for the Titans in particular because they're going to play in week 18 against the Jacksonville Jaguars mm. to uh to get in uh to the AFC South for the AFC South title right and the right. Cowboys it pretty much means nothing for them as well right, right. they're probably not going to win the division technically they still can but they're almost certainly locked into the number five seed so we might see some rested players nobody might even play yeah so we don't even need we don't even need analysis here we're just looking for a pick just and a pick i would think to get to be fair john we we know that the most powerful edge is steve's picks or more to the point fading so i'll go right. last so we'll make no no we'll make him go first oh i'm gonna go first. just to oh, give great. you the obvious standing yeah. right the dance steve where are you going steve i'm going dallas okay now i feel like i should double down and call harry <laughs> my seven-year-old harry is supposed to be making the picks for me this week right? no I you got you're on your own in this one. all right I'm, I'm taking dallas by 10 and a half wow they're gonna crush Malik Willis's Titans, so feel good about the. Titans. So there you go, John. You have the you have the winning pick presented to you yeah, on a plate. I like that. Are you going with that? Well, so I will say I never play totals, right? Because I think it's a cop out, right? Certainly, I can't in the contest play totals, but I will say in week 16, 20 teams scored 20 points or fewer. So I'm going to be playing unders left and right in week 17 and week 18. I would reluctantly be on Steve's side and lay the 10 and a half with Dallas. Okay. I think Dallas would be wise to sit guys like Tony Pollard, who's dealing with a thigh. And I do think that any Mike Vrabel team is going to be competitive in almost any setting. And it's not like you can shut down that many guys. You still have to dress 45. Um, but Tennessee is absolutely looking ahead to week 18. I actually like the Titans plus six at the Jaguars looking ahead in week 18. I think wow. Vrabel will have them competitive even if banged up in uh in an elimination game in week 18. Well, I've learned my lesson through 16 weeks. I am just picking the opposite of Steve immediately <laughs> and and running with the yeah. Titans even though they're going to be resting everyone and they don't give a crap about this game. I still think they're going to cover. At some point I'm going to turn things around. No, it's not going to happen. At some point. 
It, no, if it hasn't happened in 16 weeks, it's not happening now. What's going to happen next year? I, <laughs> will, will I positively regress next year? I don't know. Next year is next year's problem. But for now, yeah, take the opposite. Well, John, this was great. We'll definitely have you back. That was fun. <laughs> yes. Well, thank you guys for having me, and hopefully we have more time next time. And uh, we're about to tape Annex Squared and make some NFL selections. And, uh, you know, I rarely like a board as much as I like Week 17, which is probably like caution flammable, right. but much more so than the last three weeks. I think there are a lot of good options in Week 17. Thank you, boys, for having me. I am a big fan from afar and uh, hopefully a recurring, recurring guest in the future. Thanks Absolutely. so much for coming on, John. Yeah, thank you, John. Thanks, Appreciate boys. it.